sense and shivers down your spine. Shrieking skulls will shock your soul. Seal Welcome to Recess Now. This is episode seven, and I am Ralph Seymour. Jared Barker. Daniel Leeson. <laughs> All right, so today we have a special episode. This is going to be particularly interesting, I think. We are going to be talking about the resuscitative thoracotomy. It's going to definitely be a uh, topic of discussion that uh, I think is going to be useful for the residents, for the attendings out there, certainly the uh, hospitals, the outlying hospitals that don't get um, many trauma cases and then the event that you can uh, resuscitate somebody and get them to definitive care. Uh, this is going to be uh, a nice refresher uh, for most of you. So we're excited. Today we have a special guest, somebody that uh, I am honored to have on the show. Uh, he is a uh, masterful surgeon. He is a, uh, a born teacher. And um, he is uh, Dr. Dan Leeson. He is a, a general surgeon and trauma surgeon taking call at a level one and level two trauma center. We are honored to have you taking the time with us, sir. Um, Thank thanks you. for coming by. Thank you. All right. So today we're going to be talking about ED thoracotomy. And the way I wanted this to go isn't really to um, talk about the basics, what I wanted to do was talk about the indications, contraindications, who should get an ED thoracotomy. And I guess the easy part would be to open the chest. But once you open the chest, what are we doing? Where are we going? How do we troubleshoot? And then if we get something back, what now? What now, right? right, right. So I think that's the, the main thing is because if we get somebody back with unsurvive or non-survivable injuries, then what the hell was the point of doing that? Right. right. Okay. So let's talk first, Dr. Leeson. As a trauma surgeon um, at, uh, you know, the busy um, hospitals that you cover uh, in the greater Chicagoland area, who should get an, an ED thoracotomy in your opinion? So a little bit of a debate and there's a, uh... A lot of opinions on who should or should not get an ER thoracotomy. Um, there, I guess, is a couple of purposes. Uh, one would be to um, um, to treat the patient, to try to correct injuries or to stabilize the patient in, in such a fashion that they survive, uh, but also to allow enough experience with ER thoracotomies that you people who are able to do them or in a situation where they could do them can do them effectively on the next patient as well. So um, they have been probably downplayed over the last couple of decades. We probably did a lot more ER thoracotomies in the past. It was felt that um, you could provide better CPR in patients through a thoracotomy rather than not, but really that has has been shown to be not true. Um, so with Penetrating trauma, uh, ER thoracotomies are, are, should be used a little bit more liberally. There is most certainly more data for survival in penetrating traumas um, with an ER thoracotomy, especially for isolated chest traumas. 
Um, depending upon which studies you read, you'll see survival rates between 4 and 33% uh, when you look at ER thoracotomies. For penetrating trauma, if the patient has any signs of life coming in, and especially if they have an isolated thoracic wound, I would advocate for ER thoracotomies in those type of situations. Uh, for blunt trauma, a little bit more, little bit more difficult. Um, blunt trauma, there has not been uh, as much data to support performing them. Um, you always want to look at kind of everything in the picture when it comes to a blunt trauma, um, not just whether they have an isolated chest injury is there something that you can do and intervene in the chest to, to kind of correct the, the course. Um, if you have signs of life or loss of vitals in front of you, have no other source, you have suspicion for having a, um, a, a chest injury, you put a chest tube in and you have over 1,500 cc's of blood come out, those, those are times where you would really think about uh, doing an ER thoracotomy in a blunt trauma patient. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that gets us started uh, pretty good there. Um, blunt trauma has always been one of those gray areas for me. I'm not sure for you, Dr. Barker, whether you're thinking too much about an ED thoracotomy in the presence of blunt trauma. Now, it's one thing if you put an ultrasound on the heart and you see fluid around it, right? Mm -hmm, right. And you had uh, substantial trauma. But I think what I want the listeners to get from this podcast is that non-survivable injuries will not benefit from thoracotomy. Would you agree with that, Dr. Leeson, when you have non-survivable, you know, incompatible with life injuries? A absolutely. Okay. Okay. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stress that point. Right. Okay. And we're going to talk now about the contraindications. Uh, contraindications I have listed, and I'll, and I'll make sure that Dr. Leeson doesn't disagree with any of these, greater than, for blunt trauma, greater than 10 mi uh, minutes of CPR in the pre-hospital setting, no signs of life at the scene, and a non-survivable injury for blunt trauma. Do you have any, do you have any reservations with those contraindications? No, definitely okay. not. Okay. And then the contraindications I wanted to list out for those of you listening, um, patient had for, for, uh, this is for penetrating. Patient has no signs of life at the scene, asystole on presentation, uh, and no tamponade, and greater than 15 minutes of CPR. So basically, you have to have a salvageable patient, and you have to have a short run of CPR with signs of life in the field. I think that's the short story. And then no non-survivable injuries. Now, you said something about the data initially, you know, it ranges from, you know, low, you know, three, four percent all the way up to, um, I think you said 40 percent, depending on yeah, what review like 33 you 33 percent, yeah. depending upon which studies you look at. So have you had much experience in seeing any of these patients walk out of the hospital in your career? Yes. Okay. All right. So you've seen success stories. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's uh, that that's more reassuring when you see a success story. Right. Um, I think that gives you more motivation to go forward with this thing. Right. So now, are you an are you a proponent of this getting done before you get to the bedside as the as the the trauma leader as the trauma surgeon? 
I think it just depends on the situation. I mean, okay. it's a, it's a complicated. Kind of to go back to your indications um, for ER thoracotomy, I, I, I mean, my feeling is that some of the information you get from the scene is sometimes not always 100% accurate, so it's right. difficult to take those a lot of those pre-scene numbers and signs of life at the scene. And, and right. I always like to, you know, kind of look at the entire picture See what the patient looks like when they when they when they when right. they arrive. Do you consider yeah. medical comorbidities in this situation before you start doing things like this? Let's just say we have the information: patient's sick at baseline, they're older, they're not a younger patient. I mean, do you look at that at all, or do you do you kind of? You, you always have to look at that. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I mean, if your patient's on Eliquis and has a gunshot wound to the chest yeah. and has no blood in their system, yeah. Or, you know, I've seen patients who you, you come in and, you know, they're doing CPR and I look at the neck and I can stare down the empty barrel of a carotid artery, <laughs> that that patient isn't going to live. Yeah, right. It's a good point. Yeah, that's I mean, a good so, point. So, I mean, you obviously have to take those into consideration. And, um, I mean, there's harm that can be done from doing an ER thoracotomy, especially in high-risk patients, that IV drug users, patients that participate in high-risk behaviors where you can... Um, um, spread disease or or injure somebody in, in, in a fashion that's taking care of the patient. So we always have to be careful in that. Yeah, sure. I'm glad you brought that up, Dr. Leeson, because this is a high-risk procedure. So right. you have to make sure that you're exercising all precautions when you enter into the chest. Now, we don't have the skilled hands of a surgeon, right? right. We don't have those techniques. Well, I don't know about that. You know, I look. I it's it's a high risk. You could cut yourself on anything. You could cut yourself on a rib. You could cut yourself on whatever. And a scalpel, needles, everything's everywhere. People are freaking out. You know, there's blood going everywhere. So you have to take that into consideration, right? Oh yeah, especially in the day of COVID. You know. Yeah. You know, everybody everybody's worried about communicable disease, right? Even though HIV and and Hep C are relatively low in transmission, you still got to worry about it. So watch yourself if you're going to be doing stuff like this. So let's move on. We talked about, so far, the indications, contraindications, right? The next thing we want to talk about is the equipment. Dr. Leeson, what do we need at the bedside in order to get this done? I saw a big thoracotomy tray, (laughs) and I see a big thing full of clamps and, and mayo scissors and all this shit. What do I need to get this done? So, I, I mean, there's a, there are, are some very, very basic things that you need. Um, you know, just kind of walking through the procedure, you need a knife. You need a 10-blade. And I, my proponent is you start with a 10-blade and, and really try to get through the skin, soft tissue, and intercostal, intercostal musculature. Um, and then you you need scissors to take down any little attachments to open the pericardium if necessary, um, um, and you need a rib spreader. You need clamps to place on things, um, maybe a needle driver to place a suture, um, pickups to hold, retract, maybe need some types of basic retractors. Um, I'm a big proponent of the left sheet knife. It, it, I think it's easy, it's simple, it allows you to clamshell a chest very easily, and, um, and it's really not the dangerous tool in, in, in most settings. So Yeah, so, so uh, just to touch on what Dr. Leeson just mentioned, the Lebshi knife, 
this is a this is kind of a, a, a duller knife that you has a has like a chisel hammer with it and you kind of put it up against the sternum and you can kind of tap right through that sternum and the reason I know that isn't just because I prepared for this <laughs> it's also that I was actually involved in a thoracotomy of Dr. Leeson's in the past in the emergency department, uh, for which we did a, a clamshell thoracotomy. And it was an educational opportunity, I think, for everybody, and one that I'll never forget. So definitely something to think about. So thank you for that. Now, antibiotics, I, who cares? I mean, I don't know. At this point, should we, should we do antibiotics? Should we think about antibiotics before we're... It's low on my list of yeah. things to think there about. There you go. Yeah. I'm okay. thinking about all of, you know, things that are contributing to the shock of the patient. Right. I mean, obviously, a prophylactic antibiotics with any procedure or, or preemptive antibiotics before you do things are important, but much, much lower. You know, in that golden hour, we try to control the initial causes of shock. Unfortunately, there are patients that do succumb to infections or or uh, other problems down the road from trauma um, after you get through the, those initial resuscitation period and, and control of bleeding and, and other other forms of shock. But, um, yeah, much lower down on, on, on it's not list. going through my li- yeah. yeah, It's kind of one of the things when you're done and the patient's a little bit more stable that you check the boxes and yeah. add antibiotics. Absolutely. Okay. Tetanus, yeah. Tetanus, yeah. Tetanus. We'll, we'll put that one further down on the list, too. Yeah, okay. Right, yeah, right. the life-saving tetanus shot. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm glad we covered that. Now, we're going to talk today mostly about the anterolateral incision, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to talk about the left side. Now, uh, I'm sure certain situations would call for a right-sided thoracotomy if that's where you're getting a lot of blood out of the chest tube. Or would you always go with the left? I think I would almost always start with the left. Okay. And um, but never ignore the right. Okay. And I think, you know, and at least in my training program, um, the, the the ER residents wanted to try to do the ER thoracotomies and and not allow the the the, the general surgery residents to do the ER thoracotomies because the they wanted the experience and the training and. We get down there, the chest is open, and and uh, and they're just kind of staring in the chest. What do you do next, <laughs> right? You've just opened the chest. I don't know if you've accomplished anything for that patient by opening the chest. Right. But uh, what do you what do you do next? And and then one, you look for obvious causes of why they might be in shock. There is something present in the in the uh, left chest, but always think about the right chest. If you get a penetrating wound to the chest. Well, it just doesn't stay on the left side, right? Things bleed right. in the right chest as well. And so, um, I mean, I'm a big proponent of, of clamshelling patients. One, um, I think as surgeons, we're, we're used to looking through little openings and little wounds at anatomy, and, and a lot of ER physicians are not. So the more you can expose the anatomy for them, and it just provides a lot, lot, lot more exposure to actually see and visualize everything. Sure. I've seen many, many cases where people have opened the left chest. Well, the problem was on the right, yeah, and you and you didn't address it. You yeah. Just the, just because you're opening the left chest doesn't mean you're limited to the left chest. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up. So the clamshell thoracotomy is going to give you most exposure and visualization of what you're looking at as a whole. Um, I guess one of the recommendations that I've heard of is that even if you're going to start on the left, as you recommended probably good to have somebody concomitantly put in a right-sided chest tube at the same time. Oh, yeah, bare minimum. Definitely, right? Yeah. 
So now we know what's going on. And I think you could probably still violate the parietal uh, pleura on the right side, even if you're on the left. I've read that, and you can put the patient into tension even if you're not on the right side of the chest. So you've got to make sure there's a chest tube over there at the Mm -hmm. very minimum and intubate the right main stem. Now, how are we going to get that? How are we going to make that happen, Dr. Barker? I mean, we're going to tell somebody to throw the tube down a little further. Right. Because now we're opening up the chest. Right, right. Right? And Dr. Leeson, can you walk us through where we cut? You know, where exactly would you cut? I've seen you cut, so I'm... Sure. Generally, you you start around where the nipple would be okay. at the sternum mm-hmm. and follow the rib down. And if you if you have a hard time kind of visualizing the patient's heavy, kind of where is where cause your goal is to get between ribs. Yeah. Right. right. So cutting the opposite way doesn't it, it makes it very very difficult. You want right. to get between ribs, spread the ribs apart. Okay. So you want to follow the ribs down. Generally, as you head down posteriorly. You're going to head a little bit closer to the axilla, but I, I I think that a lot of people they fail because they don't go posterior enough with with the uh, uh, thoracotomy because if you're going to be in the chest you want to see what's in the chest yeah so I start there actually get down to the rib and then you can see how the rib flows and then extend your excision I see and you can do it very 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 rapidly in the process yeah. but but still kind of know where your landmarks are so you're not just making an incision that's going to make it extremely difficult for you to, to visualize and see in the chest. Yeah, um, yeah. So not too small is what you're saying. Mm. This is kind of one of those situations, do it fast, be precise, be deliberate, but don't don't fuck it up either. Yes. You know, I mean, you don't want to be, you don't know, be timid with it. Yeah. you don't want like a car bomb, you know, like a bomb went off in this guy's <laughs> chest. You want to make sure that you're doing it right. Correct. Okay, so fair enough. Down to the maybe the scapula would be fair enough, you think, mm-hmm. as long as you're following the contour of the intercostal space? Sure. Okay, all right. So we talked about intubation. Send that tube down deep right. because you don't want that left lung in your way right. if you can avoid it. The next thing, um, all right, so what? how do we open up the, the intercostal muscles? Like, what do we do? Do we use the Mayo scissors for that? Is it okay to use the Mayo's? Um, can we use uh, sterile trauma shears if that's all we have available? I mean, is that going to open that stuff up? I mean, if you're resorting to sterile trauma shears, maybe you shouldn't be doing a uh, an, an, an ER thoracotomy. If you don't have some basic tools at, yeah. at your side, you're probably not accomplishing much. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you have some heavy male scissors, that's reasonable. Some people do that. But try to get in the chest a little bit with a knife so you can see what you're doing. And then if you want to go back and use... Use uh, 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 heavy male scissors to then kind of open those the the fascia and intercostal musculature, peritoneum. Um, that's very reasonable too. Okay. And then open open those ribs with the rib retractor. Open them. Try to position it in such a fashion that it's not in your way. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the kind of the mechanism that spreads the retracting blades apart. Try to have that posteriorly out of your way, mm-hmm. so you, so you're not looking at it, or it's not going to be a problem where you got to move it around if you need to. You need to clamshell the patient. Love it, mm-hmm. love it. Okay, so we got the, the it's I believe it's called a finichetto uh, rib spreader, um, if I'm not mistaken, 
And I don't know. That was that was a fancy word. I just wanted to sound smart, I guess. I have a surgeon on the show, so what do I got to lose yeah, here? Right. So look, we got the chest open. Now I am overwhelmed with anatomy. I am seeing I, I have a good incision. I have it open. You're on your way to the hospital. Um, you're 15 minutes out. So we got it open, Dr. Barker. It's yeah. me and you. Right. right. We're doing this. Right. This is happening. Right. All right. So now we have the right main stem intubation. We have the left lung is down. Okay. What do we do now? What are we looking at? What's our first move? Um, look. Yes. <laughs> see, see if there's anything obvious in that chest that is the source of the patient's trauma, whether it's bleeding from the lung, bleeding from an intercostal, bleeding from an artery, a, a vessel, um, open the pericardium. Open the pericardium, for sure. Now, the patient's going to need everything they can to, to live and survive after this event, so opening the pericardium, you don't want to, you want to try to avoid dividing the phrenic nerve, so make your incision longitudinally across the pericardium. Put a finger in, make sure there's no clot or other things that you can evacuate from inside the pericardium. Um, Two, I think it's very nice to clamp the aorta. Clamp the aorta does a few things. One, it allows you to kind of divert cardiac output um, to the to the brain, to the mm -hmm. spine, to the heart. Um, generally, we try to clamp the aorta just above the diaphragm to in, improve blood flow to the to the spine, mm -hmm. rather than and cause ischemia. Um, who knows how long that clamp's going to be on there? Right? Sometimes mm -hmm. a lot of those clamps, they go, they go to the OR with the clamp in place. So, um, yeah, make, make sure you get the patient clamp right above the, the diaphragm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to take down the fascia right around the aorta. You can do some of it bluntly. The nasogastric tube is placed. Sometimes it's easier to kind of see where the esophagus is in relation to the aorta. Mm -hmm. um, and if you have an injury to the heart, put a finger on it. That's the first step. If you have... A injury to the lung, clamp the portion of the lung that is injured. Put a vascular clamp on that portion of the lung. I feel like that is a, a less traumatic uh, a clamp rather than putting a, you know, a hemostat where you're just going to really crush lung mm -hmm. tissue. Try not, to, try not to clamp the entire hilum of the lung okay. because you're, you're, you have to understand that 50% of your cardiac output goes through each lung. Yeah. So it causes major hemodynamic changes by doing that. Okay. Well, I'm glad we, we went over some of that stuff right out of the gate because I think the first move Dr. Leeson said to review is to look. Right. Okay. Don't get overwhelmed. Just look. Where's the bleeding coming from? All right. If you see parenchymal bleeding from the lung, clamp it. But use a use a soft tissue clamp like a vascular clamp or yeah, something. Like a Sabinsky clamp, something that, that is that is a gentler on tissue. Right. Rather right. Than just a big Kelly. Right. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. Okay, so if you can clamp something that's bleeding, clamp it. Direct pressure is, Direct is pressure. okay. Absolutely. Open the pericardium, but don't don't hack through the phrenic nerve. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, you said longitudinal incision, probably a little bit more anterior on the pericardium because that phrenic nerve runs kind of like yeah, posterior. Mm -hmm. You can see it, and. Uh, what what happens if somebody hacks through that? Is it is their diaphragm going to ever work again? Can you prepare? So yeah, they'll, they'll have a dysfunctional diaphragm. Okay. So I mean, it, it just makes it harder for them to 
get off the ventilator in the future. Mm, and I mean, if they're, if they're on mechanical ventilation, it doesn't not a big deal in the, in the early stages. But but ultimately, if the recovery of the patient, you want to make sure that they, they have that mobility of the diaphragm. Yeah, so. and you and you probably don't want to see that that got cut through either. I mean, you're going to be like, come on, man. <laughs> That's like one of those moments, I'm sure. Yeah. But probably not. That you know, the patient's got a lot. It's difficult to see. Yeah, is it difficult? Okay. It can be. I heard the thoracic duct is also very difficult to see, if not impossible. Is that true? Um, the thoracic duct can be. You, you know, that's one of those things way down on your list. Okay. Though, too. All right. So we're not yeah. worried about chylothorax or you know hitting that and causing like a pleural effusion later. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you said something about clamping. Don't. What is your opinion on a Hyler twist? maneuver to don't do it don't even do that okay all right because that's like a that's a bailout type thing last ditch effort right uh yeah i wouldn't that's not no no effort no i mean i wouldn't i i'm definitely not a fan of that i i feel like it just drastically changes the hemodynamics of the patient and it and yeah i don't think you're gonna accomplish anything i mean if you got a shred generally i mean why would you do that you would do that to try to to prevent blood flow in and out of the lung entirely. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're in there for an ER thoracotomy and the patient potentially is survivable, it's not going to be because the entire lung is destroyed. It's going to be because some portion has a hole or an injury or a couple holes that you should be able to clamp. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So... So that wraps up the first part of the two-part ED thoracotomy series with trauma surgeon Daniel Leeson. And the next episode you should expect within the next several days, we're going to put this out as a Halloween series. So we're really excited for the second part, and I hope you enjoy it too. Thanks for joining us for part one.